0: Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point.
1: On the podcast, you're hanging out with your host Johnny B, and today we have a special guest in the house. I'm really excited about this. We have Brooklyn president from a New York City uh, police officer, Captain. And y'all welcome Eric Adams to the show. Eric, how you doing? Thank sir? You.
0: thank you so much, man. It's good to be on and to speak with your listeners. Uh, i'm looking forward to a nice healthy conversation
1: absolutely same here same here when i uh when i got the opportunity to uh, to get you on and chat with you i said man let's do it i'm excited
0: <laughs> you know
1: this this is the people i want to talk to so mm-hmm. uh once again so uh thank you for uh for coming on board um so the one thing i'm going to jump into real quickly is uh uh brooklyn borough president so i did not know this actually exists i have to, I have to really be honest up front i was like wait this each borough has a president so like so what is, it, what is a borough president? What, what is that job like?
0: And that's a legitimate question. Uh, for other municipalities, they call them county executives. Okay. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why the uh, founders of New York City decided to give each one of the boroughs, county executive, a borough. But okay. Brooklyn is the, oh, I should say a, a president. Brooklyn is the largest of the five counties in New York. Uh, Manhattan, Queens, Bronx, Staten Island, and Brooklyn. We have 2.6 million people. 47% of them speak a language other than English at home. And so it's uh-huh. a microcosm of the entire uh, city. And the role of the borough president is to represent his borough in so many ways, uh, tangible ways as in giving out uh, capital dollars or in ways of representing the concerns of the people in the borough, everything from, you know, the issues around interaction with policing to schools, right. to land use when people want to build in the borough. So it's like, you're not going to get the mayor on the phone every day, but you can get your borough president on the phone when you need to.
1: Yep. That sounds good. I like that. So do you have that? Cause you said you can't get the mayor on the phone. So I'm assuming that means you probably
0: got a, a nice little pathway to the mayor. Yes, no, without a doubt. uh, It is, you know, in constant contact in many ways. Uh, I'm a person that's respectable of how you utilize the time of people. And so, you know, if it means the best way to reach you is to text you and you text me back, then I'm good with that. So I like to I like to I, I always ask people, what is the best way? To communicate with you, not my best way. What is your best way so I can get the end result? And so he and I have found a good way of making sure we're able to communicate and just move things forward.
1: Right, man. I hope all my uh, all my older listeners actually just heard what you just said. There's nothing wrong with testing. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. if that's the way you can get a hold of your child or your kids or your grandkids. It's okay to text them. Uh, You'd be amazed how many, uh, I can't even text my mother. Well, now she's actually texting, but it took a while to get her to actually understand, like, my, you might have to just text me and I would get back to
0: you. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I know that. My mom was the same way. Now I can't get her to stop texting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. You you open that it's gate, up. now you're in it. Um, so, but, um, go. yeah, so, so we got all this COVID going on, right? And, and I know, you know, in New York City, it was really, really, um, Devastating, you know, the casualties and how people just falling left and right and people getting infected. Um, And now we're talking about going back, uh, everybody going back out there, uh, back to the normal life as best as we can. So this is like a two-part question. First is, um, are you and your team working around COVID, right? And then also I want to know, should we be going back out right? Like, are we on the right path going back now, or are we pushing too soon, like some of these other states have done?
0: It's a good good observation. Uh, And, you know, my team, uh, really, uh, they have been amazing. We have have not missed a beat. As soon as uh, the virus hit the city, uh, we have been uh, nonstop and really creating an operation that is a combination of remote uh, Mm -hmm. commuting and uh, dealing with on the ground. I moved into Borough Hall so I can build a command center and respond on the ground in a real way, delivering food, delivering PPEs, really having an analysis of what was happening. Because many people don't realize when coronavirus hit the country, we divided the country into two uh, uh, bodies. One is what they call essential employees and the second was non-essential employees. Right. Uh, non-essential employees were told to shelter in place. They were told to wear face coverings and it was told to uh basically telecommute. And right. employees were told just the opposite. They weren't allowed to wear face covering. In some cases, they were brought up on charges inside their agencies. They couldn't shelter in place because of the nature of their job, and they couldn't telecommute. Right. The problem is, is that over 75% of the essential employees were black and brown. And so right. we, sent, we sent black and brown people out into the universe and said, we're not going to protect you. We're not going to take care of you. And in many cases, brother, they said, we're not going to test you for coronavirus. So you would take wow. this virus home to your family. Well, we found, Jamani Williams and I, we found that this had this had happened all over the country, all these big really? cities. And so uh, when you talk about how people got through COVID-19, it depended on your ethnicity and your neighborhood because some got hit harder than others, and there was a slow response in communities of color.
1: Wow. So those under your shirt are really blessed to have somebody like you, and uh, I think you mentioned Jomani, being able to actually have an eye out for this and then keep an eye out for what's going on. So what about those, like, I mean, really, so basically every community has to have the type of leader that's willing to be uh, be that food soldier for you to find out what's going on, to provide you the right information, right?
0: No, without a doubt. And, you know, I said to myself, uh, how am I going to tell train operators, bus drivers, nine eleven operators, mm. which are predominantly black and brown, nurses and hospital personnel, uh, black and brown, how am I going to tell them, you know what, go out in the field of battle, but as your mm. general, I'm going to sit home somewhere. No, man, general right. lead from the front. That's what real leadership right. is. You have to be in harm's way with your troops. You know, because right. then, then, your troops—that's not only substantial in nature, but it's also emotional. When you see your leader with you on the front line, you right. have a different feeling about, hey, we can fight this battle and we can win. Right,
1: right, absolutely, absolutely. And and what I can think of when you talk about leaders and uh, you know following following command, you know, you think about. I'm not sure if you watch the uh, the Lives Dance, and they talk about how Michael leads the team and. Listen, Michael. Michael's look, I'm out here to play. I'm not sure why you're here, but if I'm out here busting my behind, <laughs> I need the whole team busting your behind. So you know what I mean? Like you can't, like you said, though, you can't see your command, and your leader going hard, and you going after, you know, with right, it. fast. It's just not going to work. And
0: those, are, and those are, those are the leaders we need uh, for these times. You know, there's certain that that I believe there are two two different types of lead leaders. They're peacetime and they're wartime leaders, and wartime leaders mm. really rise to the occasion, and they run into the field of battle because they know that you can't win the war from the sidelines. And right. I, I'm a, I'm a straight up wartime leader, brother. That's all I know. <laughs> you know, right? You know, <laughs> a peacetime, I'm not the person that you want. But when when all when all hell has hit, and we need to survive like we are now. You want someone right. that's not going to crumble or get intimidated by the pressure that you're facing. Right.
1: right, right, you've been there. You've been on that front line. You are NYPD police officer for over 22 years, a captain too. I mean, talk about being in the. Because, you know, and I don't want to talk too much about, obviously, the NYPD because I think that can probably take us a whole day, a whole session. But we also understand that want to get the bad rap that's 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 about a very tiny percentage of the unit that does that but unfortunately in the news we always talk about the bad uh but talk about what what got you into want to be part of the NYPD uh in like over twenty two years
0: yeah no and it was real brother you know as a child I was actually arrested and beat bad by uh two police officers my brother and I and <sighs> And I I was, you know, know, my innocence was robbed at 15 by that beating, seeing the symbol of authority of violence in that fashion. And I was angry for a long period of time, probably probably between the ages of 15 and 19, until I joined an organization called the National Black United Front. And it was around the time that uh, Randolph Evans and... Arthur Miller, Arthur Miller was a prominent businessman that was uh, killed. Uh, he was murdered by 16 police officers that used a chokehold, mind you. Mm-hmm. And the leaders of the civil rights group told me and 13 other brothers to go into the police department and fight from within. Cause we couldn't only be fighting from outside. And I went outside. in there. I went in, joined 100 Blacks in law enforcement who care, started that organization and we just fought for reform. And so I didn't want to be a cop. I wanted—I was a computer programmer. I wanted to open my own firm. But you know, sometimes you know the mission calls you. You don't call the mission.
1: True. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, uh have you touched any uh, computer codes lately?
0: Yeah. You know, it's very interesting that during that time in 1984, mid 90s. Uh, our city was dealing with a serious crime problem. And when I went into the agency, I was was part of a team that created the first real-time computer system to fight crime in real time. Mm. And using my computer skills, uh, we created that system. That system then became something called ComStat. And we went from having 2,000 homicides a year in the city, particularly in the black and brown communities, to bringing down those crime numbers. And you know the city became the safest big city in America. Now, we had some right. problems now, don't get me wrong. But for the right. most part, we would no longer just keep waking up to gunshots and not alarm clocks. You know? So right. it was about, we have to be safe, man. And, and even now that we spill into this conversation of Black Lives Matter, you know, I'm consistent. You know, I, I've never—I knocked on a lot of doors and notified parents that their children or their child was killed, and mm. I've never heard a mother yell any quieter if her child was killed by a cop in a blue uniform or a gangbanger in blue jeans. Pain right. is pain, and death is death. Pain is pain. You know, Ooh. we we had we had a hundred. Think about this for a moment had 101 people shot last week. Wow. All of them were black and brown. All the shooters were black and brown. In the city? In the city. In New York City. Wow. Think yeah. think, think about that for a moment, man. So we, we got to be consistent in our message.
1: Right. 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 Wow. Yeah. Um. Wow. Well, yeah. That's definitely uh. That's a, that's a tough thing to swallow. But like you said, though, it doesn't matter who killed your child. Uh, you know when when the mother or father hears that news, uh, even a brother or sister he just hates the same way it's you know it's a loss is a loss um, and 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 I think if I hear it correctly it's, you know yeah we we obviously know the black lives matter uh but that's there's, there's a bigger message behind that you know um and, and I think in, in looking at some of the stuff that uh that people are crying for it's you know how do we stop all this racial injustice how do we stop? this racial profile and I know back in the days you would be uh pretty strong against them um, uh to the stop and and all of that but now that you know now that you're out of the police department now you're in the president of the bureau so you're more focused on one but I like to think that's what uh part of your job is and you're going into this mayoral race right and you know, we're gonna dip you know dive into that a whole lot too as well uh you know how do you think your your experience from the police department uh you know coming from the natural uh the National Black United Front and all of that. How do you think that helps the black community, the brown and black community?
0: That's a great question, brother. Remember, the police commissioner is chosen by the mayor. Mm, and, that's true. And the, and, the, and the police commissioner is chosen by the mayor. The police commissioner chooses his precinct commanders, and the precinct commanders monitor the behavior of the cops. Right. So okay. if we follow and connect the dots. Right. Say if we have the right mayor, he's going to pick the right commander. Commissioner. Right. right. Police commissioner and the right police commissioner is going to pick the right commander. Because the commander, precinct commanders are the most powerful officials in the city. They, they are many oligarchs. They control a geographical boundary in a community. And if they're not someone that respects the community then the entire system erodes, no matter who's the mayor or the commissioner. That's why, as the mayor, you must have a system in place that that commander is beholden to the community that he's representing.
1: Wow. So I did not I did not see that power link between the commander and the commissioner and the mayor. That's actually great information. I'm sure there are more listeners out there. We just learned something. Um, so... All right, before we pick it back on that and come back to that, let's let's go back to uh, you know you running for mayor. Right, you are running for mayor, correct?
0: We're still in the process of putting the final pieces together. We haven't made an official announcement, but it is definitely something we have our eyes on right now.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, we're here at a point on the podcast. Uh, we like to say we leaning towards my man Eric Adams, running. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if he runs, you know, we wish him. Uh, nothing but the best. Um, but so to go back to uh, to the city and how the whole thing linked up between the commissioner, the commander, and the mayor. Uh, we know de Blasio is living, and there's a, there's a big rift between him and the police department. Like, they, they've got some police union or membership online that constantly just berate the, the mayor. Uh, they talk him down, undress him and all of that. What's going on there?
0: Just so you know, there's a lot of tension right now. And not only here in New York City, but across America, historically, uh, police departments had a level of elitism attached to them. It's almost like Jack Nicholson's A Few Good Men quote when he said, You really don't want to know the truth. Because, Mm. you know, those who are of power, those who, uh, you know, feel as though, as long as you keep us safe, we don't care how you do it. And so there's been a complete denial of of dealing with you know people particularly those of color and so now all of a sudden when you have calls for real reform calls for police officers to rein in their behavior there's a portion of officers not all the people need to be careful about that but there's a portion of officers who all of a sudden want to push back and basically say if you don't let us do what we want how we want we won't police you. And I say to that, no, that's not how it goes. Uh, we cannot be held in blackmail on our public right. safety. You could have justice and safety. They go together. You can't have safety together. without justice. And you can't have justice without safety.
1: Correct. Can can there be uh, some kind of consequences when officers decided to just walk out? Is there, yes, is there, there is. And and I, there, I think
0: that... Uh, Uh, and, and there is. And I think that's exactly what you're going to start seeing. Uh, there's already a series of rules that's demanding a greater accountability for police officers. And th- you know what? Basically, these cats are going to have to adjust. This is a new day. The definition of public safety is changing. The expectations of people right. who have who have the, the right to police us, all of that is changing. And now think about this for a moment, brother. Police officers have two rights that no other citizen has. They have the right to take life and the right to take liberty. That's in our context, Constitution. The right. The, 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 the right for the pursuit of happiness, life, and liberty. So if you have those two rights, you have to be held accountable. And you have to
1: Einstein.
0: rise to the level, level of the nobility of public protection. And far too many people have been in the institution of law enforcement that were not deserving of that right, and now people are starting to say you need to be deserving of that right.
1: Hmm. Right. Have you, uh, have you noticed a lot of difference between when you were in the force and now? Like, what is the big change you've seen that possibly could? Uh, obviously, nothing has changed, in my opinion, in police brutality. I think we just seen videos of it now, right? It's it's always been there. It's just now we have videos is actually showing us what they're doing. to the folks out there, have you seen something different? It's like, like, what's the big difference you've seen between when you were in the force and what's going on now?
0: You no, know, same, same madness. But as you stated, uh, who would have? I'm sure Steve Jobs never realized that that one iPhone would be a game changer in police reform,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> unless it was a, unless it was just a true genius that can see the future, right? <laughs>
0: Because remember, it has always been videos. You know, if you go to the civil rights era, uh, it wasn't until um, people saw the videos of children being bit by German shepherds or when they saw Mm -hmm. the meeting of Congressman Lewis and Dr. King trying to cross the Pettus Bridge. Um, So videos have always uh, struck the consciousness of those who wanted to ignore the reality of what was going on every day. And so now we're just seeing of these videos that are showing the horrific behavior of those who were doing it, and became so comfortable in doing it. Because remember, right. Floyd murderer, he had his hand in his pocket; he had a level of comfort, and he just felt as though, "So what?" That's the arrogance, see, that was attached to policing, and that's being changed.
1: Right, right, and and it just feels like it never stopped. There was, a, I think, there was one just happened out here in upstate New York where I'm at. A uh, police officer having his knee on a gentleman's neck while he was on the ground. I in, we. This is what started the old George Floyd protests all over the country. But yet we're still seeing it, like two, three months later. Like I don't understand. Like, is it just like a deafness going on in the department, or just don't care? Like, I mean, is it just the free will freedom of oh, well, I'm doing my job. Like I don't understand. Like what what makes this guy continues to go back out there? and do the same thing. And I know you mentioned earlier about just having the right leadership in play. Is it as simple as that or do it in the retrain offices?
0: No, it's a combination. Uh, it's all about muscle memory, you know. Uh, think about it. You wake up in the morning, uh, you don't think about uh, how to brush your teeth and put toothpaste on and move it up, up and down and back and forth. That's the muscle memory. And mm. the muscle memory of racism, arrogance, abuse, when you've done it for so long, saw it for so long, it becomes, uh, instead of being abnormal, it becomes normal. And so the only way you can change that muscle me- memory is to show that it's not, number one, it's not going to be tolerated. Right. Where those who carry it out, you have a zero tolerance, tolerance for it. When someone carries it out, you immediately right. remove them from the agency um, on those egregious levels. And when it's a non egregious level, you get, put them through a system of retraining until you figure out, hey, this person is not going to be retrained. It's time to remove them from the agency and don't, no longer give them that authority.
1: Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Why not? Why not do that? Do we need a... Uh, I had this conversation with one of my co-hosts with another guest. Uh, do we need to increase the education requirement for being a police officer? Obviously, that things out who you can have, right? But if there's some kind of education requirement, might it be... A bachelor's degree or an associate degree, but if you come in with an associate, you have to obtain your bachelor within some amount of time because intelligence might play also into this, right? Having intelligence or having some kind of education besides high school possibly could help you to understand. Okay, common sense tells me to get my knee off of this man, or common sense tells me if he's running away, I shouldn't have to shoot him, or is that just a toilet? I'm I just looking at it as something a totally different view.
0: No, no, you're, you're, you're on target. And I believe I read one report uh, that an individual with the uh, highest level of education, uh, like a bachelor's degree, is, have been shown to be less likely to be abusive. But I say go, let's go one step further. Okay. Uh, not only look at a, a bachelor's degree. But uh, what we should do in New York City, I like to compare it to the major leagues and minor leagues of law enforcement. Okay. In New York City, we the NYPD is the major major league of law enforcement, but we have a substantial minor league of law enforcement hospital police, traffic enforcement agents, school safety agents, all of these different agencies. So I say, let's allow them after two years of being in these agencies and being observed, seeing how they are able to interact with the public and allow them to wade into the police department after we observe them for two years. Why is this is This is this important? One, 80% of the, the people I just re- mentioned to you in the minor league are black and brown. Almost 100% live in New York City and a, and a large number of them are women. And so mm. we could change the demographics of the police department in, in three, four years just by having this system in place. Second as he currently stand, you can go to school for basket weaving and those credits are acceptable. So the mere fact someone goes to school and not give, getting the proper social emotional intelligence and instruction and learning, doesn't mean you're gonna produce a good product. This person could have lived home all his life, all of a sudden he graduates from school with a associate's degree, leaving his mom's home, never had to interact with a diverse environment, you're not getting a good product. You're getting a product right. that ha- is not rarely enough to understand the diversity uh, of policing. I'd rather an experienced person that interacted under difficult times and we were able to observe than the person who merely sat inside a classroom and still think that policing is a frat house where everything mm. is a joke and a game. Right,
1: right. I agree with that last part too, right? Things in frat house. Um, so I used to do this job where. Uh, I know we're coming hard on time. I used to do this job where I used to work with the mentally challenged folks. And, you know, we would go to the house and work with them. But every three months, we gotta we have to go back to the headquarters and go in for training to just make sure we know exactly what we're doing and we're still doing the right thing. Um, the police officers have the same thing where it's almost like a, you know, like a checkup, right? Like, okay, we got to go to class again. Get retrained every three months. Get retrained every six months. You know, go through behavior. Like, what are you doing out there? How should we be doing this? You know, we've had a new update to how we're going to start. You know, holding down suspect and chasing after suspect. Do they go through that, or do we need to have that as well?
0: No, that's a great. That's a great question, brother. Uh, what they do, uh, what police officers do, is something called in-service training. They In normally service. go. Yeah, they normally go to learn how to shoot their guns or some new uh, procedure. No. Oh, we need man. to build into that in-service <laughs> training uh, other forms of training you know, right. of dealing with people, particularly uh, dealing with, you know, folks emotionally disturbed people, particularly when they're violent, and also how to identify trauma and de-escalation of one's right. colleagues. We don't spend yeah, enough absolutely. time of, of having officers instruct on the de-escalation practices of dealing with their colleagues. Hmm.
1: That would be great, because we can stop our... Uh we stop a lot of these killings that we've seen where officers are just watching each other.
0: Yes, that's uh, true. Know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like as an athlete, just go back to me being an athlete. If if my teammate consistently fouls, I'm telling him, look, stop fouling or get off the field, right? Like, <laughs> coach. <laughs> coach, get him out. And as a coach, I tell yeah. my guys all the time, one more dumb foul, so you're done. It's very <laughs> simple. So, you know, um, and before we dive into a little bit of sports here for some light life, uh, life talk, um, what's the best world in New York? The best? The best borough.
0: Oh, Brooklyn, man. Of course, man. What kind of question is that, man? Is
1: that- <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I, <laughs> I have to ask. I got some buddies that live in Brooklyn, so I know they're going to listen to that and say, man, what do you, what, what you ask? What do you mean? It's, it's, it's Brooklyn, of course. Uh, what's the best part of living in New York City? Because for those who don't or who've been there, we worry about traffic, uh, You know, the congestion of it, the expensive, how expensive it is to live in New York City. Uh, what's the best part of living in New York City?
0: Diversity, man. You know, if really, if really, you want to just dive into the diversity, lean into your discomfort, and and see the beauty of just learning something new every day. Uh, you can right. walk into a Chinese restaurant, have a Russian cook make you an Italian meal that he learned from his Mexican girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? That's how diversity, <laughs> the, the, the man. Hey. That's the joy, man. It's a
1: fusion. Listen, that would worry me though. If I walk into a Chinese restaurant and a Russian girl is cooking <laughs> and she telling me she learned it from a Mexican boyfriend, I might just walk by cow. <laughs> it sounds diversified, you know, but I'm just not sure. You know, that's something I want to eat. But it sounds like it might be good though. <laughs> um, so we went up your own time, but I got I got another one for you though. If you were running mayor, right? From New York City, we know the Blasio's time is running up. Uh, based on the constitution, you can't run again. At least you got to sit out for another four years. Uh, but if you were running for mayor, uh, what would you be trying to get done? What would you be trying to fix? What changes would you bring to the city?
0: Name of the game is to, we have to move away from treating symptoms and responding upstream. My, one of my mentors was Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who stated mm. we spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one goes upstream. And prevent them from falling in in the first place wow. i believe we need to go upstream and govern from upstream right. and, and up, upstream is dealing with our children giving them foundation and education uh dealing with issues that create poverty and we need to break the chains of generation poverty and there's right. no other way to do it than in education and so my focus is on education and education different from everyone else I believe the first classroom is in a mother's womb. You need to make sure mothers have doulas that can give them instruction on nutrition, Mm. on brain Mm. development so that their children, so they know that the first thousand days of life, think about this for a moment, brother. The first thousand days of life, your brain develops 80%. The rest of your Mm. life is only gonna develop 20%. So if we don't play a role in that development, we never have another chance again to develop that child's brain, and that development means not only instruction, but nutrition, nurturing, and understanding what we can do every day of that child's life to expand expand the, the development of his brain. That's the mission of education, not what we're seeing now. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's what we need. I'm sure that's what the city needs. Uh, breath of feel fresh air, uh, some education to come into the system and change things up a little bit. And I love what you said, though. First class is in the mother's womb. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to start using that, and hopefully, I get some hugs from some mothers out there uh, when I when I start sounding like a, a really smart guy. But um, before I let you go, though, so you know, the NBA is trying to come back. I'll take. Are you a basketball fan? Yes, I am. Love it, man. Love the game. Love the game. Knicks fan or Nets fan? I'm sorry. Knicks fan or Nets fan? A both. Fans? Listen, you, both.
0: Man, don't get me in trouble.
1: Let's a bull fan. You just you're a basketball fan. <laughs> you're a basketball fan. <laughs> That's right? Yeah. Most New Yorkers won't pick a team, and I get that. So, um, but also, you know, NBA is trying to come back. Um, obviously, NFL is a little worried about it, and baseball is trying to come back. And some of these players, they're pulling out. They don't want to come back. What? What's your take on that? I mean, obviously, we want sports to be entertainers, uh, but some of these guys are just scared of COVID. Uh, what's your what's your take on that? What do you think about what's going on with that?
0: Well, you know, I I, I view life through the prism of health. Uh, health is important, and so whatever we do, we have to do it in a safe fashion. You know, these guys uh, have multi-million dollar contracts, and they're conter- they're concerned about their health, and so we need to just make sure that if we do come back, uh, definitely can't put stands in the fan our fans in the stands right now so we have to make sure we do it in a healthy way let let no one fool you coronavirus is real you know right uh, you know we folks are losing their lives right. limbs, and even those who had it and cycled out of it they are still dealing with some serious health care issues you know the science mm. is not out yet on the impact on our brains on our kidneys you know on our lungs they're saying it may be permanent long lasting damage so we don't know the outcome of coronavirus yet and so i think we need to err on the side of caution uh because it's real
1: it's real it's real and i think uh anyone who has ears and anyone who's been reading anything can probably agree with that uh it's pretty real out there it's dangerous you know i had a cousin of mine that just fought through it uh really wrote about him, but he made it through it. So I know a lot of people out there that have lost a lot of loved ones over COVID. So yeah, I mean, it's it's real. Listen, I I don't leave the house without masks, gloves, and sanitizers. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm covered up sometimes when I leave the house. So it's just (laughs) trying to to protect yourself. So, but uh, Eric, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to chat with me. Uh, It's fun. I wish we could talk forever, but I know, you know, if you do make the news, to that I'll get a chance uh, to, we can have another conversation.
0: Love it, man. This is a, this is a terminator conversation. I'll be back.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate (laughs) it, man. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. All love. Thank you. You've been listening to the point noted podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT noted and Instagram at point noted hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.